greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Today, as we press on with our discussion on faith towards God, we shall be looking at the objective of faith. That is the objective of scriptural faith. But before we get into that, let's do a brief preview of what we looked at last week. In our broadcast last week, we discussed the source of scriptural faith being a part of the discussion on faith towards God. And we saw that scriptural faith comes from God through the agency of his word, written as in the Bible and spoken as per from the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, we said, comes as a result of the preaching of the message of message about, message from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, such a message will bring within us, through the agency of faith, conviction in our hearts that will lead us to make confession and that will lead us to conversion. So, if we are making confessions without conviction, it means that the words that we heard was not mixed with faith in us. The word did not do anything and our confession was mute vain and non-existent. And of course, we cannot expect to have any conversion. We saw that if the message that we heard and claimed to have received did not originate from Christ, is not about Christ, and is not of Christ, faith cannot come. Instead, what we would have is fear, doubt, unbelief, confusion, reliance on something else, or on someone other than on God. We're going to become a confused lot of people. We're going to hear messages that will touch on healing, messages that will make us rich and so on and so forth. But it is not going to bring salvation to us. It is not going to bring the change that is required in our lives. Instead, many, many people who are going to church, hearing such messages, becoming criminals, becoming thieves, becoming deceptive, and so on and so forth, because their hearts have not been changed. There has been no conviction whatsoever to bring about a confession and a conversion. Thus, we noted that we must be careful about the source of a message claiming to have come from God. And so we need to check these things. The Bible tells us, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, that the prophets of old did not speak because they wanted to speak. They spoke as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. They spoke what the Lord wanted them to speak. Many of them thought that what they were even saying was about them, but it was later they were to know that it was not even of their own generation. It was not going to happen even in their own time. And then we said that we needed to double check the people who are speaking to us. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 that there are many false prophets that have gone into the world. Many people operating under the spirit of the Antichrist. These are people who are against the cross of Christ. Yet, they claim to be preaching the gospel. So the Bible says we should test every spirit. We should test every message. We should test everyone testing for fruit in the people who are preaching to us. We need to know them. We need to know something about them. More importantly, we need to find out from the Lord who these people are. We can't just have somebody without a pedigree coming up and saying he's speaking to us the word of God. We want to know about him. Even if we don't know anything about his pedigree, can we find out from the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, is this person from you? In Psalm 19, 7 to 11, we saw that the message of the Lord, the message that comes from Christ, will bring wisdom, will bring enlightenment, will bring salvation, will bring peace, will bring true joy. It warns us against committing sin and so on and so forth. And so we concluded that the word of God, that is the one written in the Bible, is the authentic way of proving the source of the message 
and therefore it is the original source of our faith. What does that mean? When somebody says that they are speaking the word of God, the place to check it against is the Bible, the written word of God as given to us by Almighty God. That is how we check whether what we are hearing is from God indeed or is from another spirit. Even if an angel were to stand before you and say he is Angel Gabriel from God, he's wearing white, you see him with his wings flapping and so on and so forth. Whatever he tells you, if it does not tally with the written word of God as contained in the Bible, it is not from God. Jettison it, throw it away, forget it. If somebody were to say to you, the Holy Spirit told me such and such and such and such, and you receive it and you weigh it against the word of God, you know that what you have received is not from God, if it does not tally with the written word of God. So the written word of God ultimately becomes the source of information that helps us to believe God, that helps us to know about God. With that said, we move on to what we want to discuss today, which is the objective of our faith, the end of our faith, the goal of our faith, the purpose of our faith, the reason behind our faith, the essence of our faith. What is that point where we say mission accomplished when it comes to the subject of scriptural faith or faith towards God? For that, we'll go into the scriptures and we'll read our text from 1 Peter chapter 1 and I'll be reading from verse 3 to verse 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by faith, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the end of our faith is the salvation of our souls. But let's break these verses of scripture and we will see where we are going to. In the first three or so verses, we see the wonderful promise that God has made to us. He talks about the blessings of God, having blessed us, that according to his abundant mercy, he has begotten us again. We are born again. We have been given birth to anew, to a living hope, not a dead hope, not a hopeless hope, but a living hope, a lively hope, a hope that you can put all your money on, a hope that you can place your entire life upon, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Christ was raised up from the dead, we know that likewise, those of us, who are born again as a result of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ will also be raised to a newness of life, not just on earth, but in eternity. So that is our hope. We have a hope that if we die today, we are going to open our eyes in heaven. That is the hope. And then in verse 4, it tells us, it says, we are born again to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It is incorruptible. That is, it cannot be corrupted. It is not perishable. It cannot be destroyed. It does not rust as iron wood. Undefiled. 
It is pure. It cannot be stained. It is pure. It does not fade away. It's not a matter of fashion that comes and goes away. No, it stays there. It's a permanent inheritance. It's a permanent feature. And more importantly, it is reserved in heaven, not on the earth. We must understand this. The promise that God has given to us of this living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is something that has been reserved in heaven for you. And then in verse 5, we are told, it's right for those of us who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So the inheritance is kept. And you, the one to inherit, you are also kept. So God wants to bring the one who is going to inherit the inheritance in heaven. There will be a union with your inheritance when you get to heaven. But right now, that inheritance is reserved. If you go to some functions, you find tables with names written on cards against certain seats to demarcate who is sitting here. And then you are given a name tag. Your name tag must match the tag on the table for you to sit there. So it is in this particular case. There is an inheritance with your name written on it in heaven kept for you. And then God has purposed also that you will get that inheritance when you come to heaven. So he keeps you here. He protects you. He wants you to get the inheritance. And so in verse 6, he says, in this you greatly rejoice. I mean, when you know that you have something reserved for you in heaven and you yourself, God is keeping you because he wants you to get it. Of course, there's great joy. So he says, in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. So yes, there's an inheritance kept for you in heaven. There's nothing here on earth for you. It's in heaven. But here on the earth, whilst you are being kept by God, you have trials. They come to grieve you as it were, to make life difficult for you, as it were, seemingly. However, in verse 7, it says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, these trials that you are going through have come to prove your faith. This faith that you say you have in God, these trials are there to prove that faith. Now, these trials may come as testing from God, or they may even come as temptation from Satan. But whichever it is, the bottom line is your faith, the genuineness of your faith is being tested. If you gather cotton floor on a floor in the absence of wind, you will see it as a mountain of cotton fluff. It will be as though it were a mountain of cotton fluff. But the moment you introduce fan, either with your hand, or you bring an electric fan, that entire mountain will scatter. Why? Because the fan has come to test that cotton fluff that seems to be standing as a mountain and it finds it wanting. So it is in this particular case. So God is saying, you are being kept here and your inheritance is kept in heaven. However, there are challenges of life that will come. There are temptations from Satan. There are other things that come and these things are considered trials and they sometimes they grieve us. However, no matter how grieving they may be, we are supposed to overcome them. In overcoming them, we prove that we are genuinely a people of faith before God. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10, Proverbs 24, verse 10, the Bible says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small, like that cotton fluff. The mountain of cotton fluff, in the absence of adversity, it stood firm. But the moment adversity came in the form of a fan, it went to bits and pieces. If you go to any beach, You'll find boulders on the beaches. I'm not talking of beaches that have now been properly laid out for tourists. 
but most natural beaches. You will find boulders, rocks. Every time the water comes from the ocean to the land area, it drags a bit of sand back with it. Yet, it cannot touch the boulder. The boulder remains where it is. That's the difference between genuine faith and fake faith. Genuine faith is like that boulder. It stands in the face of the rushing waters. The cotton fluff, that is what is fake faith. The moment you introduce fan, it scatters into different places. In the message translation of Proverbs 24 verse 10, it says, if you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. So your faith has to be tested. This person that we have reserved an inheritance for, is he worthy of that inheritance? You have been brought in by grace through faith. Yes, you didn't do any work. You did nothing. But that faith is now going to be tested. How genuine is it? He says, it's going to be like gold is tested. Gold is passed through fire. And whenever gold goes through fire, it gets better and better. So each time you pass through the fire, you should be getting better and better and better when it comes to the subject of faith. Your faith in God should be stronger after you have overcome every adversity. So adversity is good for the Christian. It's not something that the Christian should run away from. It is good because it is there to weed out those whose faith is fake and to reinforce those whose faith is genuine. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16 to 18, the Bible says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. In verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So there is a time on the earth here where we go through the grind. The faith that we say we have is being tested by the circumstances of life. But we must prove the genuineness of that faith in our response to the circumstances of life. How do we respond? We go back to the written word of God. We listen to what God wants to say to us audibly. We test it against the written word of God. A word of prophecy comes to say to you, Bro, sister, the Lord is saying to you, Stand firm in this trial. Stand firm in this tribulation. I am with you in this flood. You look at the word of God. It agrees with that statement of prophecy. You stand firm because that is God speaking to you, saying, I am aware of what you are going through. Each time you overcome such temptation, your faith is built up in God. You grow stronger and stronger and stronger in God. There are some slogans that I've written down here. No pain, no gain. No suffering, no salvation. No cross, no crown. If you want to avoid the cross, the cross is the picture of the suffering of Christ. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said, if you are not ready to carry your cross daily and follow me, you will have no part in the kingdom. So the cross is of necessity a part of the kingdom. It's a necessity in your journey towards the kingdom of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, following the suffering of Christ. Be a partaker in the suffering of Christ. And as you partake in the suffering of Christ, you will come to appreciate the import, the very essence of faith toward God. The essence of the exhortation that Peter is giving here is that the people remain firm in faith so that what God has promised can be theirs. Or put differently, God is writing to us through Peter to remain firm in the faith. Keep the faith regardless of the challenges. Look at what I have kept for you in heaven. I'm even keeping you, protecting you here on the earth. 
I want you to be married to your inheritance in heaven. However, you have to overcome the challenges that you are facing here on the earth. And then he goes on in verse 8. He says, whom having not seen you love, that you haven't seen Christ, yet you love him, which is faith. If you are ready to overcome life's challenges that the enemy is bringing or that even God is using to test you, it must be because you love Christ, whom you haven't seen. He says, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Sadly, today, people rejoice only when they have gotten something. Their rejoicing is not because of Christ. And that is where our faith must shift to Christ himself. We were called to this, to faith in Christ, that as Christ lived, so should we live in this world. You will recall, I think it's in John chapter 15 or so, the Lord Jesus Christ in that discourse before he went to the cross and talking to his disciples, he said, if the world hated me, they will hate you. If the world did not listen to me, they will not listen to you. I don't know why we try to appeal to the world. We don't appeal to them. We speak the word of God to them as best as possible in a manner that will enable them appreciate that God loves them and wants them to come into his kingdom. But we do not pander to the world so that the world can like us or the world can love us. They will not love you. They will not like you. In fact, the more you try, the more they will attack you. The noise is too much in the church. Oh, they are attacking us. They are supposed to attack you. Oh, they say, but the problem is the attack is from the church people. They are supposed to attack you. Do you know if they are enemies of the cross? You are supposed to handle attack differently. We are going to see that as we go along in our study. You are supposed to be excited. The Lord Jesus Christ said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Not correctly. A pastor is known for stealing money and they accuse you of stealing. That's not persecution. That's a prosecution because you did it and you are being prosecuted for it. It's not persecution. But when they say you stole money when you didn't steal money, that's persecution falsely for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What he's saying is these trials, you will face them. Rejoice when you face them. Because it means that once you overcome them, there is a reward waiting for you. You are increasing your inheritance in heaven. So enough of the murmuring. Enough of the complaining. And then in verse 9, it says, receiving the end of your faith. Receiving the goal, the objective, the purpose for which you are holding on. And what is the purpose? It says the salvation of your soul. Let me explain a few things here. It's like you have been given a scholarship to university. Everything is paid for. Accommodation, your books, if you need a car to move around, everything is provided. All they say, pass in flying colors. We have a top job waiting for you. We have a home prepared for you. We have a good salary awaiting you. All we are saying is, our investment in your education should not go to waste. We have this office, we want you to fill it. So the office they want you to fill is like your inheritance. The studies that they have paid for is like the earth where you are. And the studies you need to go through are the trials and the tribulations that you face. If you are a wise student, what would you do? You would spend time studying. You'd burn the midnight oil. You'll be known in the library. You'll be doing your assignments as at when due, you'll have to forgo partying and many of those social activities. They will call you nerd. They'll call you I too know. They'll call you all kinds of names. But you know where you are going to. Your face is set on a purpose. You are going to get that job. You are going to sit on that seat. You are going to acquire the home that has been built for you. Everything has been provided for you. 
for your education and for your after education. All they say is go through the studies in the same way. That's what God is saying. I have an inheritance for you. I've given you everything that you need here on the earth. I want you in heaven. Overcome every challenge on the earth. If you need to pray and fast, you will do that. If you need to be like a fool, you will do that. Everything that is needed is provided so that you can come out in flying colors. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all those other things that people are running around and running after shall be added unto you. You seek first the kingdom. Focus on the kingdom. Make that your goal. The salvation of your soul. Make it your goal. Everything that you need to achieve that goal is provided. Thus, the objective of our faith is eternal salvation. Mark you, when you got born again, you were saved. That is true. But it is what I call a temporal salvation. That salvation can be lost. Many people talk about once saved, always saved. It is not true. You will remain saved provided you are living as God wants you to live. No problems there. So based on that condition or precondition as the case may be, once saved, always saved. But once saved, always saved does not work. Where you are living contrary to God, sir, that salvation that you have here on the earth is temporal. However, it is like what the Bible says, a down payment. The spirit in us is like a down payment of that eternal salvation. When you buy a car and you make a down payment on the car, the car doesn't belong to you. The car belongs to the motor company or the banks that have paid on that car. As long as you are making your regular payments, you don't have any problems. At the end of your payment, the papers of the vehicle will be given to you because now the vehicle is yours. But if you miss a number of payments, sometimes some don't even want you to miss more than two payments. You miss two, three payments at the most, they are going to repossess the car. And all the payments you have made hitherto, lost. So what do you do? You make sure that you are current on your payments, on your car payments or your car notes. You make sure that you are current so that at the end of it, you can get full possession of your car. That is how salvation is. A down payment has been paid by Christ through the Holy Spirit for us. All we have to do is make our regular payments. Prayer, fasting, studying the word of God, getting to know God more and more, standing firm in the faith, and so on and so forth. Many things that we do, those are our regular payments. As long as we are regular in our payments, avoiding sin, making sure that we are not living a careless life, a life that is not a testimony to Lord Jesus Christ, as long as we are making our regular payments, we will get to the goal of eternal salvation, from a temporal salvation to the eternal permanent salvation. But when you frequently miss your payments, then like Samson, a repo can take place. The Holy Spirit was withdrawn. Somebody said, how is that possible? The Holy Spirit is given. He doesn't come because he wants to come. He is given. The giver can withdraw him. So let's not make a mistake there. The Holy Spirit is given by the Lord. He can withdraw him. The Holy Spirit's goal, he, he himself would love to stay and make things right. Just like we saw in the parable of the fig tree that was planted in the vineyard. When the master came and said, this thing has been here for three years, no fruit, cut it down. The vine dresser, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit said, please give me one more year to dung it. So those people will say, give me one more year. Let me bring revival to his life. Let me change his life. Let's make sure that he's okay. If after one year, he doesn't change, well, it's up to you. If he changes, glory be to God. So those who let alone would want to stay. However, the one who sent him can withdraw him. And at that point in time, there's nothing you can do about it. He'll be withdrawn. So our goal is that eternal permanent salvation. And that is where the objective of our faith is. Some people think that the objective of faith is to buy cars 
or to gain a house. No, that's not it. That's not it. You see, those houses, cars that God provides us with here on earth are resources. They are resources to enable us live as God wants us to live. If you don't need a car to do the work of God, to fulfill God's mission for your life, you won't get a car. That's the simple truth. Even if you went through the back door to get the car, then it means that you are not doing God's assignment because that assignment that God has for you does not require the use of a car. It might mean that God wants you to be walking to where you are going as you make those walks. You will meet people along the way and God will say to you, I want you to speak to this person. I want you to speak to that person. So we must understand the context of these things that come. Many people sadly believe that the objective of faith is to get a wife, is to get a car, is to get a home. So they say, if you want God to give you those things, you have to trust God. You have to believe God. We will come to that. Because that's not the objective of faith. The objective of faith is that you will get to heaven, that you will be saved, that you will receive that eternal salvation, which is promised by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was this understanding that made the first century Christians not to mind being killed. There's a story in Acts chapter 5 from verse 17 to the end where we are told of how the Sanhedrin had arrested the disciples because they were preaching and then they were imprisoned. And then an angel of the Lord came and opened the prison door and told them to go out. He said, go to the temple and begin to preach in the name of Jesus. And they obeyed. They left the prison and they went and began to preach. In the morning, when they were going to bring them before the magistrate, they went to the prison house. The guards were intact. The prison gate was intact. Everywhere was intact. But when they got there, they didn't find them. The place was empty. They were wondering, where are they? Then somebody ran and said, is it not those people who are preaching in the temple that you are looking for? They are preaching. So they brought them. I said, did we not warn you not to preach in this name? And they asked them, say, you check. Who should we listen to? You or God? We cannot but do what God said we should do. So they determined that they will kill them. As they were discussing it, Gamaliel, a religious teacher, said, these people that you want to kill, what is the essence? There was one fellow who came and said he was a great person. Nothing happened. Another person came. If what these people are doing is of God, you are fighting against God. If it is not of God, it will fizzle out. Just leave it alone. So they brought them and they flogged them. The Bible records in verse 41 that the disciples went out rejoicing that, wow, you mean they beat us because we were preaching? Glory be, they were excited. What do we have today? We have people who will be screaming and shouting and making noise. I know my rights. They had no rights. Let me tell you something. If you are a Christian, there's only one right you have. And that is the right to become the son of God. That's the only right you have. Based on the right of becoming a son of God, the world now has the right to treat you as they choose because now you have the name of Christ upon you. You have no rights. That is the simple truth. This was why Christianity increased rather than diminished. The Jews thought that by persecuting them, by killing them, that they would diminish. No, they grew stronger. Why? Their faith. People saw their faith and said, wow, there is something in this Christ that we are not seeing. These people are seeing it. And they overcame persecution. Today, Christianity is something that everybody wants to be. But when it comes to facing persecution, nobody wants to face the persecution. This is why we must be prepared to endure great affliction. It is so sad that if somebody... I had a dream. I saw a coffin. Did you see what was in the coffin? No. I just saw a coffin passing. Oh, let's pray against the demon of death. Let's pray against the spirit of death. Why don't you want to die? It's not because you are serving God. It's not because you want to serve God. You just want to enjoy this world. And if all you are looking at is how to enjoy this world, you are not a child of God. You are none of Christ. That is the simple truth. The believer must understand that the objective of his faith is eternal salvation. It's not in houses. It's not in jobs. It's not in cars. It's not even in healing. Do you know that if through sickness you will be kept 
firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will remain there. There are people who were ill and they were calling on God's name every day. The moment they were healed, they just spent a few days around people of God and then the rest, they were off back to their old ways. So the preachers who believe that by walking healings and miracles, as laudable as those things may be, understand what God wants. In the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be amazed at how many lame people were present and the Lord didn't heal all of them. Recall in John chapter 5, the Bible says he went to the pool of Bethesda and it was only one man who had been there for 38 years. And even when he asked the man, do you want to be made whole? The man said, I have no man who will put him in the water. There were so many people. The Bible says many people there, but he healed only one. We always think that we can heal everybody. We can solve the world's problems. That is not why God called you to ministry. God called you for whatever reason. And he has the reason. Go to him. He will tell you. You don't have to involve yourself in every and anything. You don't have to speak on every and any issue. There are some issues that you may not speak about. Just stay in one corner and be talking to God about it. But what do we know? A lot of us want to be known. A lot of people want to be renowned. A lot of people want people to see their faces. And so they feel that by speaking on every issue, perhaps I don't know that for a fact. But it's possible that that's all they want to be known. Some people post all kinds of crazy things on social media for likes. Not because God told them to put those things there. So we must understand that God will give you what is necessary for you on the earth to accomplish that goal of getting to eternity with him. Whatever will stop you from getting to eternity with him out of love. He will not give it to you. You recall that in Genesis chapter 3, because God had love for man, he set the cherubims to block the pathway to the tree of life because Adam and Eve had defiled themselves. And if they were to partake of that fruit, they would not be saved ever again. So God put that. The way to the tree of life will again be open when you get to heaven. So that is the goal. Heaven is the goal. The earth is not the goal. The object of our faith is for us to get to heaven. So all the things that God puts in the Bible that we should observe is to bring us to eternity with him. The objective of faith, when we understand it, it is what makes us to endure hardship and to build relationship with God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, the Bible says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. A typical soldier does not engage himself in civilian affairs anymore. He's focusing on the military that he has come into and all that he needs to do in his service as a military person. In the same way, you and I must understand that we are going to have to endure hardship in attaining the goal of eternal life. It's not going to be smooth sailing. No. Most times when you have a victory and you want to begin to rejoice and celebrate, another thing will come. So the Lord Jesus says, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. We must be watchful. We must be prayerful. And we must understand one thing. You don't have a father because you want to get something from your father. No. Your father is your father because he gave birth to you in the same way. Our relationship with Almighty God is because he gave birth to us. Not because we want to get something from him. It's not because I want a house. That's why I'm going to church. That's why I'm, I'm calling on the name of God. No! My relationship with Almighty God is because he gave birth to me. He gave me a new life. Verse 3 says of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is my excitement. God is my father. My relationship with him is uppermost. As I relate with Almighty God, I get to know him. In knowing him, I know what he wants, what he likes and what he does not like. What he wants me to do and what he does not want me to do. I avoid the things he says I shouldn't do. And I focus on the things that he says I should do. All this through faith. 
because I don't see him. But I read the Bible. I know he gave me the Bible. I know he sent people to write this Bible and put it together and he gave it to me. My faith is in God and in his word. I believe he wrote this Bible to me. I believe that whatever God said in this Bible is for me. I read it. Not just for me to say, oh, I claim this. No, because God is telling me how to overcome. He's telling me how to be able to live and come to him in eternity. He wants me in eternity. I believe he wants me in eternity. I'll be doing a great disservice if I did not prepare myself to meet with my father in heaven. You can imagine your father sending you overseas to study. He's not expecting you to stay there forever. He wants you back home and he's sending you to study not to play away. Your joy should be that when you are returning home, you are returning with your certificate. It would be shameful for your father to spend so much money sending you overseas to train you and you return with nothing, nothing whatsoever. That would be a shameful thing. In the same way, we must understand our relationship with our father. It's not to be asking for pocket money every time, asking for a car, asking for a house, asking for a wife, asking for children, asking for everything under heaven and not fulfilling, not accomplishing the task that he was for you. How does it pay you if you receive all the pocket money in the world, buy all the cars that you want to buy, play away and return home without a certificate? You are going to be an embarrassment to your father, a shame to him. In the same way, if you leave this earth without accomplishing the salvation of your soul through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ means that you are obeying his word. It means you are doing what he says you should do. If you are not going to accomplish that, what a shame it will be because you won't get to heaven. That's the simple truth. And we must understand that this is the goal. That's why Peter wrote. He said, you love him, though you don't see him. Why? Because I believe him. I believe what he says. I believe he is who he says he is. A loving, caring father. The Bible says, casting all your cares on him for he cares for you. I can trust him in every circumstance. I can rely on him. I can depend on him. Those synonyms that we put about faith at the beginning, you can use them now because I have studied the word of God. Because God loves me, I am confident about everything he has said about himself and about me. I have the assurance in me, that confident assurance, I have it in me, that what God said, he is able to do, which is what we use when we define faith. It says faith is the substance or the assurance or the confident assurance that what we hope for will indeed happen. What God has said, what we hope for is what God has said is a living hope. That's our faith. Faith is the evidence, the persuasion that we have, the conviction that we have, that God exists. That is not just air speaking, that the Bible is not just the writings of some men sitting in a monastery in one place and writing and say, let's turn out and deceive people. No, I am convinced that God gave me this Bible. If I'm thus convinced, the way I would treat the Bible will be different. I'm not going to worship the Bible, but its contents will have meaning to me. How many of us treat the Bible as such? When we're arguing with the Bible, is the Bible then the word of God? But I trust him. I rely on him. I can depend on God. I can depend on his word. If I'm facing life challenges and God gives me a tax and says, keep quiet. I keep quiet. Don't fret. I don't fret. Be anxious for nothing. I'm not anxious for anything. But in everything with prayers, thanksgiving, with supplication, let your request be made known to God. I make it known to him. And God will send peace to my heart. I believe the word of God. And that's why I act based on the word of God that I believe. I think we mentioned that when we discussed the direction and the object of faith. If you say you believe God, then it can be seen that you are more eager for what God is saying than what any man is saying. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I believe him. That's why, like the psalmist, I can say, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For thou, O Lord, are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me in the challenges of life. The objective of faith is attained through Christ. 
This object of eternal salvation is attained through Christ, not apart from Christ. In John chapter 14, the Lord Jesus Christ, before he left, said to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. What does this build confidence in me on? It tells me that even as I'm walking now, the Lord is preparing a place for me. I'm like that student who has been given a scholarship. All I have to do is study. There's a place being prepared for me. There's a position in the tabernacle that I'm going to fit into. There's a house waiting for me. All I need to do is study hard and make sure that I do only what he asks me to do. I know that when it's time, he will come for me. What does that mean? It means I cannot die before my time. And if I die, it is my time. It's as simple as that. If you have that understanding, you will not fret. You will not be shaken. In Hebrews chapter 5, let's read a little bit about the Lord Jesus Christ. From verse 5, it says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. I'm reading this for completeness. Now note, verse 7, Who in the days of his flesh, talking about Christ here, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, capital S, yet he learned obedience. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered and having been perfected through that suffering. You see, the challenges of life that you're facing is perfecting you. In Romans chapter 5, I think verse 3 and 4 or so, the Bible says that we can also rejoice in tribulations. Why? Because tribulations work in us patience or perseverance. And perseverance works in us character. And character, hope. And the hope does not make us ashamed. Why? Because the Spirit of God has flooded our hearts with the love of God. So those things are good for us. In James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, the Bible tells us, he says we should count it all joy when we face diverse trials, diverse testings. Look at verse 3 of James 1. It says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that ye may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Go through the grind. You will become patient. You will become resilient. You will be able to overcome things and endure things. When others are running about, you are calm. It goes on. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who Obey. He became the author, the source, the provider of the way to eternal salvation, the giver of eternal salvation, the author of eternal salvation. So the object of our faith of eternal salvation is attained through Christ. It's not attained through your church. It's not attained through the pastor. It's not attained through programs. No, it's attained through Christ, through Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The first and last of our faith. The beginning and the end of our faith. Look unto him. Not unto a pastor. Not unto a church. Look unto him. The Bible says he is the word. He is the spokesperson of the Godhead. He is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. The same was with God in the beginning. There was not anything made that was made without him. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness. And darkness cannot comprehend it. That is the Lord. Through him, you will attain the goal of eternal salvation. The objective of your faith is to get to heaven. It's not for cars. 
It's not for marriage. Those are resources. By the grace of God, we'll meet again next week. But I want to encourage us to spend some more time in the word of God, looking at what the Lord has written to you through the apostles of old, through the prophets of old in the word of God. And as you read it, understand that it was written to you. It's not a general book. It's written to you. Spend time studying the word of God. Your faith in God will grow. Your relationship with God will grow. And I guarantee you, based on the word of God, the end of your faith shall be accomplished. Like the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross. And when he was about to breathe his last, he said, it is finished. You also can say, mission accomplished. When it was time for Paul to go, Paul wrote and said, I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering. I know there's a crown waiting for me as is waiting for all those who put their trust in God. He said, I have fought a good fight. Mission accomplished. Peter, in writing Second Peter, said, the Lord has revealed to me that I'm about to put off this tabernacle. Speaking of dying. What was it that made these people write so eloquently about death? What was it that made them not to say, oh, uh, please remember, pray so that they will release me. So that this, no. Paul, in fact, one time wrote, he said, I am caught between two opinions. One opinion is to remain here on the earth, which is good for you so I can continue to teach you. That's why he's staying. The other one is to go to heaven and be with God. That is the goal. If that is not the goal of your faith, your faith is small. It means that you will fail every test that is brought to test your faith. So, well, I leave you to pray until we meet again. God bless you.